So uh, it's always kind of interesting. I think it's good for us to spend a little bit of time reflecting. I was sitting here thinking, um, even as that, that video was playing, of just things that have happened over the last couple of years as we've been on this journey. And here's the reality of a lot of things is uh, we've had a lot of good memories and um, we've been able to share the gospel with hundreds of people over the last few years. And uh, I think it's kind of remarkable to see um, how that works. And there are faces of people that aren't with us anymore, new faces uh, of people that you know are, and all kinds of things in between. A lot has changed um, over the last couple of years. But what I do know is that God is faithful, that God is moving, that God is um, using us and he's called us to do great things. And so uh, I think for me there's a lot of encouragement as, uh, it is, as I take time reflecting on everything that God has done. And I hope that for you, that you take some time to consider everything that God has done in your life over the last few years. Uh, for us, our call to City West Church and into church planting came just a few years ago um, in the fall of 2018 while I was uh, serving at a church and interviewing for all kinds of jobs around the country and um, really focused on, on anything but church planting. But when the call of God comes, uh, there is, you know, like a necessity to respond. And in terms of my call to church planting, not necessarily one that I share a whole lot, in terms of the, nit, not the nitty gritty, of, of what happened. I remember sitting at going through, you know, you're interviewing for jobs and this door closes, but this one seems like it's going to be open, but then it's not really, and all the things that are kind of happening in between. And I remember I was sitting at a conference and one of my favorite preachers was preaching. And I, I remember to the day the illustration that he was giving. Now, I say conference, it was really a convention and it was a denominational type of thing. Uh, but one of the, this guy who's a little bit older in the denomination was preaching and he's looking at a room filled with like 80%, you know, 55 and up, you know, like, like everyone here that's a lead pastor is pretty old. And so he's preaching and he's talking and he's, he's giving this illustration about a water bottle. And he was just like, you know, today it's amazing how water bottles are packaged. And uh, sometimes they come with sports tops or pop tops or, you know, like eight ounce, the little, I guess that's eight ounces, a little small one, 12 ounces, 16 ounces, 32 ounces, gallons, you know, everything under the sun. There's all these different kind of sizes of bottles and different kinds of bottles. But fundamentally, there's water on the inside. And when I was uh, getting ready to come on stage, and I said that I was thirsty, I didn't actually care what the packaging of the bottle was. What I actually wanted was water. And then he kind of looks at a lot of the people, these older people in the room, and he's like, some of you guys have been so concerned about the sports top versus the normal top that you miss the fact that a lot of these younger guys in these skinny jeans actually have the living water of God. And so a lot of us older guys have to get out of the way in order for these people to come and bring the water to people that are thirsty. And ultimately, people who are thirsty don't care what it looks like. What they want is water. And so that's what we've got to do. And it was in the middle of him saying that, that the Holy Spirit said, Mac, there's a lot going on. What if I called you to plant a church? And this dialogue began to go in. But I say all this to say that 
In the fall of 2018, really November 2018, as God and I are having this conversation, and I uh, actually am, uh, um, you know, weighing whether or not I'm going to walk in obedience, it's one thing for me to say that I've encountered God. It's another thing to actually see the obedient steps that come with pursuing the call of God, regardless of what happens on the other side. What's the point of encountering God if it's not going to be followed by steps of, of obedience? In fact, the call of God and the encounter of God with God uh, implies obedience as the response. And furthermore, if we're not going to obey God, then what tangible sign is there that we really have encountered God? And with, with that in mind that I want us to read James chapter 2, It'll be on the screen, beginning in verse 14. This is what it says. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. God, we just ask that you would give us wisdom and understanding here. Help us to um, hear your word, receive your word, and respond according to your will. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Sorry about that. All right. So as we jump into things here today, we're obviously talking about faith, works, the relationship between the two and what that actually means for us. And I'm going to jump into things pretty quickly here, but I I think it's important for us to remember this marriage between our, our, our works, which don't save us, but are the evidence that we have actually been saved that makes any sense. If we've encountered God, then there will be works that come with that as the evidence sign, the verification that you are who you say you are and that you believe the things that you say that you believe. And so the first thing that I'd say to us here this evening is this, is that confession is meaningless without action. Confession is meaningless without action. 
There's a futility here that exists when we make confessions of faith or proclaim things that we believe, and yet there is no action that is accompanied with it. Our faith is meaningless when we simply just watch our world, you know, go on and we have no action and no vested interest in it. In fact, you are supposed to be an active participant in the things happening in this world. You are supposed to care, which is why we see this illustration in part about this person who a homeless or hungry person comes by them and you're like, oh man, God bless you. Please be filled one of these days. Figure it out. Bro, you got food. You have the ability to do something to intervene. And how much can you really be, could you really care and be burdened by the suffering that your neighbor has when you have the means to fix the problem, but you do nothing about it? You don't care that much. And so our confession is meaningless if there's no action that accompanies it. We see this in Romans 10, 9 and 10, and verse 13. So Romans 10, um, 9 and 10, it's on the screen, and I'm actually going to look at it. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there's confession that takes place. What you actually believe about Jesus matters. We're not saying that, like, as long as you do good in the world, that it doesn't really matter what you believe. That's a pendulum swing far too, uh, far, far too wide. What you believe actually matters. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? And notice here the minimal amount of belief that's necessary for salvation. Considering the theological wars that we tend to have amongst each other, it does not say, do you believe in a pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation rapture, and then you will be saved. No. It doesn't say, like, um, do you actually believe that the communion juice that we're going to drink here in a little bit actually turns into the blood of Jesus or symbolizes the blood of Jesus or turns into it afterwards or all the things on the spectrum, that is not a saving matter. By the way, it's not to say that these theological things don't matter. In fact, so much of the epistles is working out a lot of these doctrinal issues. But what's required for you to be saved it's to encounter Jesus, which requires you to acknowledge that you are a sinner, to acknowledge that there's nothing that you can do about your sin, that your sin offends God. And so you must then confess Jesus as Lord and believe that he will save you as well. And that is manifested in an action. Romans 10.13, for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a confession and an action. There's what you believe and there's an action. If you actually believe that Jesus is the only uh, way that you can be saved, the only means for salvation, then you will call on his name. But if you believe that there are other options, you won't. And so what you do ultimately shows what you believe. And we see this, not just with salvation, but all the way down the line. If you believe Jesus saves, then you'll call on him. If you believe that God has made all of humanity in his image, then you'll care about how we treat each other and how they are treated within society. 
that means that you're going to have to care about what happens to the immigrant, to the refugee. That means you're going to have to care about what happens to the unborn. It means that you're going to have to care about how we treat people who are transgendered, who are homosexuals, who are bisexuals, and everything in between in the spectrum of sexuality. It, your care for those people made in God's image will be manifested in the things that you do and say to them. You're going to care about the single mom or the teenage mother. One of the most uh, convicting things that I ever remember growing up in extremely conservative Christian circles and thinking about teenage pregnancies and like how taboo that was. I was sitting in a church uh, as a worship pastor and we had a young person, uh, a young adult, early on in ministry, and a young person, uh, maybe a 15-year-old at the time, got pregnant. And there was like this moment where, the, you know, like there was this awkwardness in the service. And our lead pastor just grabbed this young girl and he brought her down and he and he and she's crying and he's he's encouraging her and the church is like eh, she's a teenage pregnancy and like what are you doing pastor and he just turned on grabbed the mic and he was like I don't know what's wrong with you guys but the baby inside this baby needs to know that Jesus saves and it just kind of clicked with me this dude just like made it like like we should actually care about what happens to this kid I get to follow along on uh, Facebook, even though I haven't talked to this person in over a decade, but that baby grew up in church hearing the gospel, um, uh, got saved and baptized, and is, leads on the praise dance team right now as we speak. Because ultimately, it matters what happens. It matters what happens to people. If we believe that folks are made in God's image, then our actions are going to ultimately reflect that. But these aren't just like, I want you to hear this, when, when our actions aren't just like society has to fix these things. You have to be engaged. You have to be motivated to do something about the injustices, inequity, and inequities and the pains that you see. It's not someone else's job to respond. It's not the mayor, the governor, the president, a senator. It is your responsibility. It's not a counselor or whatever it is. If you encounter brokenness, then you have the responsibility to do something about it. So confession is meaningless without action. But secondly, resist separating belief and action. Resist separating belief and action. In verses 18 and 19, we see something here that I think is really important. It says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So we see that there is... How about this? It's impossible to verify true faith apart from holy living because doctrine and the deeds that we do are inseparable. Well, what do I mean when we talk about separating? Because I think there is a, a temptation that we have in the way that we view spirituality in, within uh, the Christian walk. In fact, 
it's almost as if there are levels of faith and engagement. Like, entry level, I believe in God, Jesus, I go to church occasionally on Sundays, I'm good, you know, like that. And that's an acceptable level of faith and engagement. And then there's like, I go every week. Uh, then there's like, I go every week and I volunteer. I go every week, I volunteer, I'm on a, you know, some kind of leadership committee or whatever it is. Um, it kind of within these levels, it's like, I go every week, but I still club, <laughs> you know, but I make sure that I wake up on time, you know, I, I still give God his glory, you know, and I tithe, so it's okay. Uh, uh, nothing funnier than to me than hanging out with some friends of mine once on New Year's Eve. I was getting ready to go to my church's watch night service, but I was hanging out with some friends and uh, the, the, my friends went to a particularly large church on purpose um, because they wanted to go to the earliest watch night service possible so that they could go to a New Year's Eve party and turn up. They were like, mm, God, thank you for this year. And then booty, 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 booty. You know, like just went, they just went in, you know, like it, it was like this whole thing. And I just remember laughing. And even and for what it's worth, I poked fun of them then. I was like, wait, y'all gave God the glory. Now you're going to go turn up for real? Yeah. And, you know, you just uh, hiked up the skirt just a little bit higher. And uh, they went out, changed the heels uh, into some red pumps, and they just went out. And so, like, but that's, like, kind of how we treat things. Like, I go to church, but I still do what I do. I still sleep around. I still, you know, cuss up a storm. I still, you know, do whatever it is that I want to. I get wasted from time to time. It's not that big a deal to be drunk, even though the Bible says be sober-minded. Uh, we don't, that's not really, you know, only super Christians, like, uphold that standard all of the time. And so we'll just, it's okay for you to believe certain things. And then there are levels of action that if you want to jump in that far into faith, then it's fine. But if not, take it or leave it is optional. It's interesting. Back in the early 70s, the, uh, the folks at Burger King developed uh, an exceptionally successful ad campaign with the slogan, Have It Your Way. And it was based on the fast foods change, food chain's willingness uh, to modify orders to each individual's taste and preferences. Now at the time, this was a big deal because it was not the way that most fast food restaurants happened. And if anything, you know, like it'd be like that Bon Kiki sketch from Mad TV back in the day, complicated order, complicated order. Mm -mm. You know, like welcome to King Burger, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, so we would have a complicated order. But Burger King, as opposed to King Burger, uh, Burger King, was like, no, have it your way, whatever you want. We will customize it to your heart's content. And that may, very well may be good when you're paying money to a restaurant and you want your food done the way that you want it. But don't be mistaken, like you are not the customer in this whole thing. You, you, when it comes to God, like you paid nothing. Jesus paid it all. It's not have it your way. It's have it his way. Your salvation is on his terms, not your terms. It's not like God came to you and said, uh, how much grace and mercy do you need or do you want? How much of my forgiveness do you desire? How much of my presence do you think that you actually need? Uh, let's bargain here and rationalize how much of this I'll require of you. No, he laid it out by faith, by grace through faith. That's it. You got to humble yourself, not partially, but completely, in order to receive the grace and mercy of the Lord. That's it. That's what we preach the cross and Jesus Christ crucified. 
We just sang about it. The wrath of God was satisfied. That's what we're talking about here. The wrath of God for your sins. And so it's not have it your way. It's his way or that's it. And by the way, his way necessitates action. And here's what happens when we try to create these levels and separate faith and works. We run into an issue that we see laid out in verse 19. Okay, let's talk about your faith. And he lays things out. There are three kinds of faith. There's dead faith, there's demon faith, and there's saving faith. Dead faith. Faith that leads you to do nothing. Faith that says, I believe, and yet I do nothing. Then there's demon faith. He talks about this. It's theologically precise. Even the demons know who Jesus is and they shudder at his greatness. By the way, part of what James is saying here is your dead faith is worse than demon faith because even demon faith responds to the knowledge that they have of who God is. Your faith is worse than demons because it's dead. Demons know who God is, and at the thought of who he is, they tremble. At the thought of who he is, they respond. When Jesus says, go into these pigs, they walk in obedience and do. They have an encounter with the Son of God, and they respond with obedience. They cry out to him when they're in his presence and ask for mercy. And then there's our dead faith, which somehow allows us to walk into the presence of God from week to week and to say, ooh, I believe in you, and, be resp- and have zero response. How is it that demons can have a greater response to the goodness and truth of who God is than we do as people who are recipients of his grace? And so James like, look, you, you believe even demons, demons tremble at the name? What do you do? You're apathetic at the name. You club at the name. You cuss people out at the name. You walk across uh, people who are homeless and do nothing about it at the name. You are completely unconcerned with everything that's going on in this world, even though you profess the name of Jesus. So how, how does that work? And then there's saving faith. There's the faith that recognizes that, like, Jesus saves and responds and cries out to him in faith. There's a response, so we can't separate these two things. They come together, faith and action. But the last thing that I'll say is this, is that faith and action shows God's greatness. Let's read the last bit of this passage again. In verse 20, it says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The root thing in all of this is the greatness of God. The catalyst for all of these stories is the greatness of God. 
And when we live out our faith, it points to his greatness. Just like when we are apathetic and do nothing, it gives a testimony about the God that we serve. If our apathy and the disconnect between our faith and our action gives a negative testimony to God, how much greater is the testimony when our faith leads us to action and obedience? How much greater is that testimony? Like when you serve people, when you show love and compassion to people, they always end up asking why you're doing it. And you always have the opportunity to talk about the God that you serve and how great he is. And, you know, all of these stories, whether it's Rahab or Moses or whatever it is, all we do when we see people responding in faith with their actions is how God was able to take their faith and do something greater with it. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to encourage you, if you want to do some supplemental reading along this week, I, want, I encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 11. But we're just going to look at just the first couple verses to give some complimentary uh, 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 verses to what we're reading. So in verse 11, ver, or, uh, chapter 11, uh, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. But by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Forever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. The rest of the chapter continues to walk through more and more heroes of the faith, but they're not heroes because they did anything. It says, by faith they believed and they did something, and then the greatness of God did something incredible in them and through them. By faith they acted, but ultimately God did his thing. And we've talked about this before, but this is what it comes down to. By faith you do what only you can do. And through God's greatness, he does what only he can do. Which is, by the way anything that he wants to. You know, back in the black church, when I was working in the black church, that's, that's when everybody would say, won't he do it? There you go, somebody in the back. You're not even black, you just know. You heard it. That's what's, <laughs> that's what's up. I love it. I love it. 
But I mean, like, won't he do it? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Like, yes, he will. He does what only he can do. And by faith, we believe and respond to what he has called us to. Believing in faith that when we respond, he will do whatever he's called us to do. He will accomplish his work. That he's faithful and just. That he will finish everything. It's not like us. God does not have like attention deficit disorder. Or ADHD. Not, not, not any of those. As an ADHD uh, individual, in, in a lot of my coaching in my grown-up years, this is an actual thing when I was doing some church planting training three years ago that uh, they gave me. They were like, Mac, um, focus on not beginning the next task until you've actually completed the task that you're on. That is to say, and it got very nitty-gritty, um, if you're typing an email, finish the email and click send before you do the next thing. It will help you have less things just kind of floating out there. If you ever look at my browser or whatever it is on my desktop, it's typically like four Word documents, three PDFs, and like 12 web browsers because my mind is and everything just kind of happens. And, and, and you know, like, some, I, I guess sometimes that's what we think God is doing, that he started something in our life and he's not going to finish it. Or he'll come around to it when he's ready. But God is so much different than us. We see this demonstrated throughout the scriptures. See, God didn't like see the nation of Israel as slaves under Egypt and then like forget about them. And then one day Moses pops up as a grown man, old man really, ready to lead them. Like I'm 80, here we go. That's, that's not how this thing worked. Like, maybe that's how it feels for us when we're walking through it, if we were the nation of Israel. What we find to be true, and this is what I always love about the book of Exodus when it begins, says the people are, are, are being oppressed, the, the Pharaoh begins to kill all of their children, the Egyptian midwives are like, we don't really want to be a part of this, uh, this genocide, so they make up some excuses about like, which is kind of funny, man, man they, they, they have those babies quick. By the time we get there, you know, the baby's already gone. We can't kill them, you know? So, so like they go through this whole thing. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go read Exodus chapter one. It's pretty wild. But then it begins to talk about the fact that there was this mother who had a baby named Moses. And she keeps him for as long as she can. And then she puts him inside of a basket and then puts it, sends it down the Nile River, and then that basket ends up with the Pharaoh's daughter, and, and then she's like, let me keep this baby, then the sister's hanging off in the bushes, I know who can raise this baby, turns out that, you know, you don't need to know this, but that's my little brother, so I'm just going to get my mama, and then, you know, like, we're going to just make this whole thing happen when he's a little bit older, he can go live in the palace, then he's living in the palace, and he knows who he is, uh, clearly, and, and then he gets upset about seeing his people beaten, and, and so then he kills a guy, and then he's off running in the middle of the desert and he finds some women there and you know like a dude with some daughters like this one's cute I'm gonna marry that one and you know like establishes a life for himself 
Shepherding, by the way, learning how to lead people by being a shepherd out in the desert. For years, until he's an old man. Let's just say he's seasoned at what he's doing when he sees a bush burning. And it's at that moment that he gets up and responds like, what's going on? And then he gets sent back home. That's like 80 years minimum of stuff going on. And if you're the nation of Israel, you're like, did God forget about us? No, every single time you responded in faith and prayed, your prayers were being answered. You didn't see, but my hand was the one guiding a basket down the river. You didn't see it, but it was my hand that made it where the Pharaoh's daughter was where she needed to be at the right time. You didn't know this, but every time your backs were being whipped, I was raising up the answer to your prayers in the very halls that he would need to walk into 50 years later and demand from people that he grew up with. That he can even, you ever wonder why Moses even can have audience? Like, I'm just showing up here to talk. It's the, it's, the, it's the brother I grew up with, the kid that was running around the halls. They knew who he was. Do you not see that God finishes the things that he starts? And so what does that mean for us here tonight as we kind of close things out? It means that we have to respond. God is calling us. If when we encounter him, it necessitates a response. What is the response? And by the way, that response is not just going to be about you. That response is going to be what requires you then. It's going to require you to hear about the goodness of God and care about others. Because what God is doing in you is not just about you. Will we care for the people that are in need around us when we encounter them? Will you care for the hungry? Will you care for the homeless? Will you care for the motherless, for the, for the, the teenage mom, the, 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 the kid that's been freed from human trafficking? Like, will you care for the young man who's got nothing before him but gangs? Will you care for the person who's affluent but parent is checked out in their life? Which, by the way, not just people in poverty that are in need of the love and grace of God. And so, like, that's what we're doing here. So if you have ultimately heard of the goodness of God it, and you say that you believe and you have a confession of faith then what action are you going to do that God has called you to that testifies to the faith that you have because I don't know about you but we've got to have better than, than dead faith faith that confesses who God is and ultimately responds with nothing. Let's pray.